This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. This is Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Innovative thoughts from baseball's best coaching minds from around the world. Brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, former USA Baseball National Team coach, Peter Caliendo. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, folks. Wherever you are in the U.S. and around the world, thanks for joining us. We are now in 100 countries. I want to thank our audience. You guys are fantastic. We got a great show for you today. Let me tell you, it is going to be explosive. You're going to have to watch this a couple of times because we've got a great person. But before we start, I just want to give a shout out and a prayer to all our folks in Kentucky, Illinois, Tennessee, and some of the areas in the United States that have been devastated by the tornadoes. Hopefully you, we can all rally around them, help them out because they really need it. So uh, prayers to them. And also uh, we're going to talk about it on the show. Uh, prayers, condolences to our, our family of Roland Heeman. Um, at 92, he passed away a couple of days ago in his sleep. One of the greatest people in the game of baseball, great human being. We're going to talk about it with Rod Kittle here in a second. I just want to give a shout out to Margo, his wife, his kids, prayers. And uh, let me tell you, he saved the pitch and hit club when we called him um, about 10 years ago, asked him because the club was actually heading a little bit in a, a tough direction. But because we called Roland, he jumped on the bandwagon right away and, and, and decided to help us. And man, we just took off. So special shout out to the family and prayers and condolences. Um, also, let's welcome right now, let me tell you, 83 American League Rookie of the Year. He was a manager um, and I had the privilege of coaching with him with the Schomburg Flyers. Um, he made it to the big leagues when he was 25, a former steel worker in Indiana, because I'm going to get into that. 50 home runs in Edmonton and 176 in the big leagues. But listen, he's a legend in Chicago baseball. Um, he still works for the White Sox. He's got great projects. Um, we're going to talk about some of the special projects he's been working on. Um, one is a, a very important charity. Um, I'm going to ask him about that. And I want to welcome our good friend, Ron Kittle. What's up, buddy? Hey, Peter. Great seeing you. Been a long time. It is. Uh, let me tell you, but the pandemic hasn't helped, obviously. We've been down for a while. But I got two things for you. I've got a shot of espresso because I got to get ready for you. And I've got the Ron Kittle bobblehead, Schomburg bobblehead. Which yeah. I've always kept in here. So I got two things that I think are special. But I do want to thank you because I know you're you're very busy and uh, just want to ask you how things are going for you. Uh, you know, what? I'm never too busy for friends, Pete. And, you know, you've been doing this show for what, like 20 years? And this is the first time <laughs> you've had me on it. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, well, no, that, that goes to show how popular you are in Chicago. Every time <laughs> you wake up at four in the morning, I mean, three in the morning. I see you probably cut you probably cut your grass this morning at three o'clock. Right. If there's snow, you're shoveling snow. You're always working. You're never sleeping. You know, I'm 63 years old and uh, the body's changing. It's hurting all the time, you know, ever since my years when I broke my neck. But the more I'm moving, the better I feel. So you're right. I did cut grass here. I started at 730 after breakfast and uh, till the frost got off the ground and <laughs> it looks good. You know, it's just trying to stay ahead, gets my body loose and everything out there. But, you know, the pandemic, uh, it was kind of goofy. Uh, I believe. Well, I know I did. I got the so-called COVID or whatever it was in the December of the year, they even had a name. Uh, I coughed a little bit. I didn't feel bad. Uh, smoked cigars, still drank my bourbon on a choice. And, uh, you know, you just got to work through that stuff out there, but you know, the world got scared. 
understandably, nobody wants to get sick. Nobody wants to die. But, you know, people have been dying for hundreds and hundreds of years. So you know, stuff just happens. But, you know, as an ambassador for the White Sox, I was frequently doing Zooms two or three times a week, you know, talking to our sponsors, the fan base, uh, our office staff. And I'm a people person, Pete. I, I miss the one-on-one talking and chit chat or going to lunch and, you know, shooting the breeze with these people, but uh, everybody had to go through it. There's rules and regulations and I followed it. So I stayed busy uh, being home. I wound up redoing my entire house. So I probably spent 60 grand just doing my house. And well, you know, if, if you follow Ron on Facebook folks, and by the way, on Facebook, we got people on there already. If you got any questions for Ron Kittle, ask them. Let me tell you what I love about Ron. He's a straight shooter. Um, he'll tell you what, what he thinks all the time. And I like that because sometimes that's not easy for everybody to do, especially if you're trying to develop yourself in the game and grow in the game. And, you know, you're at the lower levels, you know, you want to make sure you're, I guess, a little bit politically correct, but then eventually sooner or later, um, I think it's time that, uh, you know, people speak their minds. And one thing I do want to say about the pandemic, um, you know, I, I get all the rules and I just want to cover this and then we'll go on. Ron, what I, what I believe is this. I wish, I really do, and this is a special shout out to all our doctors. I know they're doing a great job, the nurses, but especially the doctors. You know, let's start talking about health. Let's start talking about obesity. Let's start talking about losing weight, exercise, vitamins, you know, especially vitamin D. I talk about this on the program all the time. You know, your immune system is so important. I mean, that's what the vaccine is all about, right? It's supposed to help your immune system. Well, you know what? let's start promoting good health. And I think that's going to help overall. I mean, you know, as an athlete, I mean, health is extremely important. You know, I broke bones, you know, my neck, my, you know, all kinds of big injuries, uh, never been sick. So the doctor, I went to the doctor, I've had it for 29 years at uh, Northwestern. And she goes, everybody gets sick. I go, no, I don't get sick. So she looked back at my chart and it was kind of funny. It was 1986. She wrote me a prescription for a sinus infection. And I never even took those pills. Wow. So, you know, and I eat everything. I mean, I don't eat perfect all the time. I eat junk food, but I eat good food. Uh, one thing I do do, I drink about two gallons of water every single day. Uh, right. I keep my body fluid, liquid, you know, everything's running mm -hmm. in. Uh, other than that, I, I feel good. Doctors are good. Uh, I don't like to be pressured. And I think that's what's happening. The people are getting pressured into taking these shots. Uh, I didn't want to get it, but I knew I was going to lose my position. Uh, probably with the White Sox if I didn't get the shot. So I took mm -hmm. the shot. Uh, my better half, Barb, she took the shot and she's got severe migraines and vertigo for the last wow. eight months. I mean, there's days she can't even get out of bed. Uh, wow. And it, it's unfortunate. Uh, she's getting a little bit better, but not much. It still periodically pops up, but uh, yeah, I want the world to be safe. You know, I want to enjoy life and I will enjoy life. And you know that, Pete. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, and we've got great connections in the minor leagues up in the Schomburg team. And uh, it was fun. I mean, I, I remember all the minor league stories and the funny things all the time. It's not the success that has a good story. It's the crazy stuff that you do all the time with other uh, players, coaches and everything else. Absolutely. And I want to get into that. But before we do, and I, I want to start to show off with uh, Roland Heeman, obviously, because, you know, you know, Roland for, for many years when you play with the White Sox. Um, and I gave a shout out. Talk about Roland, because I coming from you, I think, you know, really means a lot because you've known him for a long time. Talk about what what kind of person he was and the impact he had as 
you know, a, a general manager as a person in baseball? Well, you know, it's, it's tough losing uh, a friend and a boss. Uh, and he is what he was probably the best baseball guy that I've ever been around. Uh, I don't know if you ever paid attention to him, but he, anytime he met you or he met your wife or your kids, he would write it down in his little paper. Absolutely. Yep. And 10 years later, he would have that notebook and he remember he does did his homework all the time. So his baseball logic was always good too. Uh, he put it together some really good teams, but one of the first times that I really got a big kick out of him is 1982. I get called up to the major leagues and, uh, it's on a Saturday and we had a, a Friday night game, a Saturday day game and a Sunday day game. So Saturday night, I went to McCuddy's across the street with a bunch of the White Sox staff. And I parked out front where all the normal people do. I didn't park in the player's lot and Roland parked to my driver's side, left side, you know, at, so he saw me pull in, he's there and, uh, that's all good. So Saturday night, I go out with all these people and it was late and I had a couple drinks and I'm a cheap date. I, you know, I don't drink a lot. Uh, so, but I was tired. I just played a game. So next thing I know, I go, it's 11 o'clock. I'm going to drive back to Indiana. I get in the car. Well, anyway, the next morning, Roland pulls up to my passenger side. I got all my windows down and he goes, you know why you're going to be good? Cause you're the last one to leave and the first one here. And I was still in the same clothes. I fell asleep in my car. We <laughs> <laughs> <He> went home. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but he he just was, he he was your father and your brother and your best friend mm -hmm. as a general. That's hard to do. And right. he's one of the few. And he's at it, like you said, with the pitch and hit club. Uh, he loved baseball. I went on the chicken eating banquet tour after the seasons with him. And uh, we had so much fun. I mean, I mean, we had tears in our eyes and, you know, he would always get worked up in all the situations and uh, he just loved talking baseball and, you know, he liked living in the past, uh, but he also had a, a sharpness for what the current players are doing too. And it's a, it's a huge loss for baseball. You know, folks, um, Roland Heem, I got to tell you, and I, I think you hit a, a grand slam there, Ron. I'll tell you why, because, you know, even, you know, somebody like myself really kind of met him here and there in several places. And all of a sudden I call him one day to help him about the pitch and hit club. And he, and he, and he just, you know, he remembers the club. He remembers it's, it was started by scouts, you know, 1949, I believe. Um, it's been going for a long time, doing some great things. And he knew that we were having trouble and he, and he helped right away. I mean, he made you feel, you know, when you didn't know him that well, he made you feel like you've known him for a long time, like he, you were best friends, but yet we just met, you know I mean? That's the kind of person yeah. he was honest. And like you said, he wrote everything down and he always made phone calls, right? He never, you know, I don't think he used texts and email and all that stuff. He called you all the time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he, he passed away at 92 years old up in home, his son's house and his wife, Margo was there uh, by his side. You know, that is, he had a great life. I mean, you know, as, as sad it is to lose somebody that you love or a friend or something like this, he, you know, he had 60 plus 70 plus years in baseball and he made, contacts with just about everybody mm -hmm. and uh he, he loved to celebrate when you're winning uh he brought me over uh to baltimore when he went to baltimore to be a general manager and you know, which is a nice move i appreciated it going over there unfortunately our three starting pitchers uh greg swindell kurt schilling and uh i think rich another guy all got hurt so we went from first place to fourth place in like a week you know and we were competitive but uh yeah, he's missed. You know, then we also lost Lamar Hoyt, Cy oh, Young yeah. Award winner. Yep. And uh, and I was just getting ready to travel there 
today. I had flights oh, wow. set up to go visit him today. They were canceled a couple times during the year due to, uh, you know, the governor closed down the airport, you know, doing all this other crazy stuff. So, but I communicate with him and, and many of the current players that I played with, I, I still keep in touch with them. I, I don't yeah. care if they like me, you know, <laughs> yeah, I really don't, but they call me, uh, Harold Baines, Walker, Lazinski. And you know that when you and I were coaching, I told the guys, I said, I don't want to, I don't want you to like me. I want you to respect me because you're going to learn some baseball. And they did. And you know, Pete, we still keep in touch, or I do too, with a lot of the players that I was the hardest on. on right. The, floors. the ones yeah. that I, I said, I just go, I wish I would have had you in college or high school. You might get to the big leagues, you know, because well, they didn't know how to do things. Yeah. You know, when I, you know, I think, it's kind of like when you have kids, you know, they, they grow up older and then they realized, Oh, you know what? He was right. Um, because you, you, you did some things and we'll talk about it. You did some things with the flyers that were unique at the time, but now all of a sudden they're being done now. Um, and that's, what's interesting is kind of, you were ahead of your time. Um, what I've always told people, one of the things you had a quality you had as a manager that I, I liked a lot was that whether we were up by 10 or whether we were down by 10, you were always pretty much even keel. You kept your patience. Now, you had times, obviously, like anybody else, any manager, you know, where you're going to pick your time where you got, if you got to get mad, you got to get mad, right? I mean, that happens. Um, but you didn't do that all the time. You were pretty level throughout the whole time. And I thought that was an important, you know, uh, part of being a manager or important part of being how to manage a team, a game. Yeah, well, you know, you can't yell at them all the time because then it just gets old. And, uh, you know, so you try to teach them in lessons. And I know you remember this because you were there is we're winning seven to nothing against Fargo and we wound up losing nine to seven. And I told Greg Hibbert to go in there and get my batting gloves and the fungo. Remember that? And yes, we had yes. infield at 11 o'clock at night. At night, right. And I, I hit the balls as hard as I possibly could at every single person. And, you know, this is after playing a game and, all I remember was, holy, you said, holy shit, he's going to well, get it now. So Eddie, the first one, I, I don't forget anything. Wasn't Eddie, used to Eddie, it. Eddie Lara was the third baseman. I hit the first ground ball, hit him in the kneecap, and he fell down. So yeah. I went over, and then I drug him off to the sidelines. I go, give me another third baseman. And uh, I tell you what, we were out there for 45 minutes to an hour, and everybody came in, and I met at the mound. And everybody was just dripping wet. Their hats were – it was hot, humid. Uh, and I said, listen, guys, I didn't come out here to embarrass you tonight. If you just think how good you did of me hitting all these balls in the infields, your cutoffs and everything, how you perfectly performed these, I just showed you, you can do this every single day. And we wound up winning, I think, 10 out of the next 12 games. You know, so you got to do those statement points for these guys. You know, it's still round ball, round bat, you got to hit it. You know, you know, and I and I remember that because we made a bunch of errors. I mean, we should have won that game. I agree. Now, here's the other part of all this. I want to. This will be a perfect segue because I want to go back to when you started playing baseball. Um, you know, you made it to the big league, 25. Oh, I, I do want to mention this. I want to shout out to Phil Bradley. You were traded for Phil Bradley with the Orioles at that time when you talked about, I think, in 1990. Phil yep. Bradley and I worked together in the World Baseball Classic, so I got a chance to meet him and know him a little bit. And I thought that was interesting when I saw that. But growing up, um, you made it to the big leagues at 25. Now, you grew up in Indiana, you know, a steel mill worker. I, I can't remember if your dad worked in the steel mills. But yeah, talk, about, yeah. Yeah, talk about that, how you grew up, your dad, your parents. You know, I want to know a little bit about, I want our folks to know how you grew up 
Um, and, and then how you got into baseball, your injury that you had, that which most people would have been done with baseball with the injury that you had. Discuss that for us. Well, you know, I, I grew up in Gary, Indiana, and I was a uh, sports uh, clock. So if it was basketball season, I'd be out shooting basketball. If it was football, I was out playing football. If it was baseball, I'd play baseball, just like every other kid in the neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, I was good at everything. You know, really, if I wasn't, I would be <laughs> in jail doing some stupid stuff, but I didn't. Uh, so right across the street, there was a vacant lot, and I heard they were going to build a baseball field over there. So my dad was an iron worker. And just, you know, and I was a kid you know, nine, 10 years old. And all of a sudden a couple semis come over there and you see all this steel drops off. They kind of accidentally lost a couple loads of steel over there and they built a baseball field. You know, so I was there every day as a 10, 10, 11 year old kid watching the older kids play, you know, and I would want to play catch with them. And that, you know, punk kid, they're trying to throw harder to me, uh, hit, throw faster to me. And I just kept hitting it, you know, and I kept catching it. You know, I missed a couple. I didn't let nobody know I got hurt. Uh, I, I maintained the field. I cut grass. I watered the, the dirt. I mean, I did everything part of the game. And it's, uh, and it, it's, it's contagious. So a couple of your friends see you. But one mm -hmm. thing that I learned as a little kid, uh, as a youngster, is you have to play with people better than you if you want to get better. Yes. So if every day you go out Amen. to play catch with you with somebody who's not better than you, you're never going to know how to go to the next step. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I played, you know, through high school. Uh, I, I mean, I was, I, I was drafted. Uh, no, I really wasn't drafted. I had 17 uh, basketball scholarships, 10 for football. I had zero for baseball. Cause wow. when you play in the, when you play in the Midwest, you only play 10, 15 games, mm -hmm. you know, so uh, nothing happened. So I went iron working. My dad gave me a piece of paper that says, you're an apprentice iron worker. You're going to start tomorrow morning at five o'clock. So Hell, you know, everybody had a party, a car, a vacation. I went to work. So I worked like 122 days straight of uh, overtime in the steel mills. I went from about 185 pound kid to 245 pounds of steel. I mean, I was in the best shape you could ever possibly get into. And I'm cleaning my boots off one day. And my dad is sitting next to me on a bench. And uh, he goes, hey, there's a Dodger tryout in LaPorte, Indiana. And I kind of put my foot over it because I was making pretty good money at the time. And he goes, no, you're going to that tryout. I said, no, I want to work. It's double time on Saturday. He goes, you take your ass to the tryout. So I went out there. There were, I think, 264 people out there. And wow. you met a couple of those, uh, Glenn Van Proyne and Dale McReynolds. Oh, yeah. yes. They were out there running the camp. And they go, what position do you play? I go, where do you want me to play? Yeah. You know. And I, I didn't swing a bat or play catch for probably three months since school ended. And uh, I go, I'll play shorts. I played short and, you know, and I caught a couple balls, threw them out at first base and I had a real good arm. Uh, I hit, I think I hit a couple home runs during the game. And, uh, you know, then uh, like towards the end of the game, I didn't back up somebody, you know, a cutoff throw or something like this. And it, they looked at me, what happened? I said, honestly, I said, I'm so tired from iron working and today's tryout because you have to run a 60 yard dash and all the other stuff. Sure. I was sucking gas. I mean, I couldn't do another thing out there. So they said, can you stay afterwards? So I stayed after with one other kid and uh, I was catching at the time also. And they fired up a pitching machine. So in LaPorte, Indiana, literally they were turning the dial up on his jugs machine, throwing it as hard as they could. The harder they threw it, the farther I hit it. Mm. Uh, so that was July 3rd, uh, July 4th. You know, it all ended. They said, thank you. We'll get in touch if we need you. I said, that's good. So I went home. And uh, they came to my house on Sunday 
July 4th, John Candelaria was pitching for the Pirates and he no hit the LA Dodgers. Mm. So they were all in the house and they said, we'd like to offer you a contract for the LA Dodgers, you know? And uh, with $5,000 bonus ticket, I go, yeah. And my dad hit me. And, and he, goes, he goes, hey boy, he said, there's not anybody in Indiana right now as good as you. You, you should have just waited. And I said, you know, and I was thinking all the iron working that I was killing myself yeah. working hard. So I signed with the Dodgers. And long story short, uh, I go to, I go to spring training. I had a great spring training, hit some home runs as a young kid, you know, switch hit a little bit. And uh, I go to Clinton, Iowa opening day. I hit a double. Mike Sosha hits a bloop single. I score slide across the plate and a catcher dives for a bad throw up the line. And he hits me underneath the neck, Pete. And, uh, I laid at home plate paralyzed first game, first at bat. And I broke my wow. neck. I crushed three vertebrae and cracked my spinal cord. Wow. And, I mean, uh, and you came back from that. That's what's well, amazing. Well, the thing is my neck never hurt me. Everything else hurt on me, but you're an 18 year old kid and you want to play. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't care how bad you are. You want to play. So I periodically played that year, a little bit here, a little bit there. Days I couldn't do nothing. And they were uh, very patient with me. Because uh, they knew something was wrong. So I hit 250, seven home runs, 25 RBIs, and 100 at bats. That's not too bad for a guy. So I no, go home, my 18. teeth are bleeding. I'm, I'm really in bad pain. And I go to the doctor. They take all these x rays, and you know, MRIs weren't even around at the we time. We lost Ron for a second. We know there's some storms in, uh, in the area. Hang on. Hang on, folks. Sorry if you're on Facebook. We lost them for a second. Ron, you still there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Continue. Just, it ended with. So, no, so I go to the doctor, I go to the doctor and uh, he's taking all these tests up at the hospital and he's, he just shakes his head and he goes, uh, how are you doing it? I go, doing what? He goes, you got three crushed vertebrae and a cracked spinal cord. Wow. He goes, you're in surgery tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. So they put, they took out pieces of hip bone, packed it into vertebrae, uh, put the screws in the halo of my head. And the doctor said, you know, you'll never play sports again. Uh, you won't even do hardly any athlete, you know, and as a 19 year old kid, I mean, I was, I was heartbroken. I mean, I just hated everybody, but I had a tough daddy and uh, you, you never got to meet my dad. Uh, he's, he's, he's tough like me. Uh, he was the toughest man. I now know now I'm the toughest man I know. And, uh, he, he said, boy, you just going to sit in bed. You know, I got the halo on my head. He goes, are you going to hang on and uh, live with your mom and the rest of your life? And it, something just clicked in my head. So mm. after I healed up, I started working out, went to Nautilus. I mean, I got as strong as you could possibly get beat, uh, you know, and it was my, my career was still over until somebody asked me if I wanted to play semi-pro ball in the fall of 78. Mm. And uh, we played at Midlothian right on 294 off, you know, Cicero area. Mm-hmm. And I played one game and the first game I played uh, the first pitch, the guy threw me and I didn't swing a bat for months. I mean, it didn't even throw. I had long hair, great shape, dark suntan, little beard going. And the, the first pitch was at my head and I went back and I thought my head was going to fall off. I mean, cause you don't know your, your mind plays tricks on you. Sure. Then the next pitch, I literally hit a ball over the light tower uh, on the two ninety four. Which is five five fifty to six hundred feet, and at that particular moment, uh, Bill Veck and Billy Pierce were going to Cole City, Illinois, for a speaking event. It hit in front of their car. They went to the next exit, and said, "Who is there?" 
What's wow. that? And they came there. And they went to the next exit, 127th Street, and they said, who hit the ball on the highway? And wow. I'm hiding, think I broke a window. <laughs> and and uh, Dean Stravakis was the yeah, I remember the, Dean, the coach of the Ahepa team. And uh, he goes, that guy there. And that was on a Tuesday night we were playing. It was the first game I played. And they arranged a private tryout for me at Sox Park. Uh, that Friday when Kansas City was in town. So that's wow. how, you know, I got my second chance. Wow. Hey, listen, um, you know, the one th- the thing I love about all this, and I want to uh, talk about your dad just a little bit more, because one, you were a multi-sport athlete. Two, you obviously worked in a steel mill, became strong, athletic. You know, that helped. That had to help a lot. Um, three, you played with older players. Uh, and four, I mean, your if your dad didn't push you to go to that tryout, you, you may have never played in the big leagues. I mean, your dad seemed to push you quite a bit. Um, you know, that had to help a lot to have somebody like him there because it might have been where you may, you know, you would have just gave up and maybe stayed as a steel worker. Well, a- absolutely. And I, I was I was uh, ready to be a steel worker because I was making great money and I love working. I really do. I mean, it's it's. I consider it a health club when I'm working steel or, you know, wood and mm-hmm. all this stuff out there. He pushed me. Uh, he was probably my biggest supporter, uh, but I never got no uh, praise for him. You know, one of the stories, and, you know, I wrote a book, uh, Tales from the White Sox Dugout. Yep. We're going to talk. Uh, yep. So what, what happened is I hit six home runs in a game one time and we won like 17 to nothing, but I made an error at shortstop and it really wasn't an error. I picked the ball. I threw it the first base so hard. I handcuffed the guy. He hit, hit off his bot, heel of the glove, hit him in the chin and went to the fence. So the runner never went to second base. Okay. But somehow my dad thought it was an error on me. Well, which is mm-hmm. fine. So mm-hmm. I had 13 RBs, RBIs out of the 17 that day, that game. And he wouldn't let me eat dinner that night. Wow. He goes, I don't know. I don't want none of that bullshit horseplay out there. Cause I was giving the guy a chance to run. And uh, about 10 o'clock at night, I took a shower. And my mom snuck two hot dogs over the top of the shower curtain. And I best damn hot dogs I ever had in my entire life. And uh, from that day forward, I just said, you, you, you have fun. But when it's game time, you got to focus and stay on ball. And it, it was a little lesson, but uh, he supported me. I got a second chance. You know, I'm probably the only guy in the country that signed out of two trial camps, once with the Dodgers and once with the White Sox. Yeah. And uh, – you know, you got to be pretty fortunate. And, you know, Pete, you run camps all over and I run camps with you. The kid, if you're good, you got to go out there and shine that day. So mm-hmm. somebody pays attention to you. You just can't sit there and say, well, he's got a big name for him. He's going to play. No, you got to go out there and uh, have the tools to do the job. Hey, let me ask you, you know, when you talk about your dad, because I want you to mention the charity that you run. I think that's a great thing you do. But before you talk about the charity, you know, for, for dads out there that are coaching their own kids or coaches that are coaching their own kids, you know, you mentioned your dad, he didn't praise you, but he, he pushed you. Is there a balance there or, you know, what's your recommendation out there for coaches that have their own kids? Well, you know, I, I've seen it all and I coached my son, Dylan. And yeah. uh, what I used to do when I picked a team, I would sit down with the parents and the grandparents because they're the ones coming to the game. This is from T-ball on up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, that's where you learn respect. I said, listen here, your son doesn't show up for practice. He ain't playing in the game. I said, you can have your money back. I got it in my pocket. It cost you $120. I'll give you $120. I said, I don't need you to come out here 
and belittle any other kid that's on the team that who's struggling that doesn't know how to play this game. You got to encourage everything. Literally for four years where I coached, maybe five years, my side of the stands were completely full all the time with support. Uh, for the first couple of years, they never even knew to score. You know, they just went out there and had fun. And I used to say, oh, tie game. You know, then one of the moms goes, oh, no, there's never a tie game. I said, well, your son's going to be on another team next year. You know, that's all I said. <laughs> and, and she kind of shut up. And I said, listen, this is a training process. You know, yeah. you learn how to do this. So, you know, my son, uh, his dad's a big league player. And I never pick my son first, Pete. Never, ever pick him first. So we're mm -hmm. teaching him how to run through the bag at first base, okay? Run, uh, touch first, go to second, get a triple, whatever it is. So we're teaching them all these things. So now I get them all over those drills. And they're getting running in, but they're learning something. So, and I did this in Schaumburg with the guys. I go, all mm -hmm. right, we're on first base. Yep. Uh, who wants to go first? And my son, Dylan, raises his hand, proud as a peacock. And I said, okay, first time I ever picked him. I said, we're going first to third after we did all these other things. Here it is. There's 13 kids on the team. I, when I go clap your hand, you take off first to third. Well, what he did, Dylan ran right across the pitcher's mound. Uh, and the other 13 kids followed him instead of going to second to third. <laughs> you know, and, and see, those are the memories that I like. And they, and they learn it. And uh, But you still have to do that routine to high school and college players, because they forget, you know, there's, they're more worried about the electronic games, uh, you know, all these, I mean, there's so many stats. I was looking at an old box score in 1946. It said B for bats, R for runs and BI for RBI. That was right. it. Now they got like nine, I don't even know what the hell this WAP shit is or WAP war, whatever the <laughs> hell it is. You know, it, it doesn't matter because I don't pay attention to it, but and, but one thing, one thing you you always that I think that sometimes we forget. One thing you've always had fun too. I mean, and and I'm assuming this was when you were a player too, because when you were at the White Sox, you obviously took the game serious, but you also had fun, and that kept people loose. I think that's oh, yeah. important to do when it comes to managing, coaching, or playing. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's it's important, and you know, and I think, uh, and I turned that Schomburg managing job down like three or four times. Mm -hmm. I didn't want it uh, due to the owner. I didn't want it. You know, so John Dietrich, our friend, and uh, Great friend. God, God bless, bless him. John. And, uh, you know, and uh, he, he he's the one to talk me into it. Mm. And it was a good experience, or I would have never been associated with you and Hibbard and, you know, Lapacola, Berrios, all those Berrios. guys. I mean, yeah. we, had, uh, we had a lot of fun, and we had a good team. Absolutely. First year we went to the playoffs. Yeah, and, you know, and we probably would have went farther if they didn't sell our players to affiliated ball. They took our best players and, you know, go to affiliated ball. So we were missing yep. our key players. Yeah. We sold a lot of players, even prior member prior to the playoffs. I mean, that, and that was one of the things, you know, obviously to get players to, to the next level, um, yeah. so, some of them, and, and we did a special story, you know, with Jim Rushford, we did a special podcast with him. There's a young man who came to the tryouts who never, who never even, he just played a little college ball at San Diego, yeah. you know, ne never played in the big leagues, never played pro ball. Next, you know, he makes it to the big leagues, plays 54 games in uh, with the Brewers. Yeah, his first game was against uh, I was trying Randy Johnson. Yeah, uh, remember 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 the time he broke his ribs in center field or in, in the outfield? Yeah, like the Kool Aid guy going through the wall. 
<laughs> he was a tough. He he was similar to you, as tough as nails. If you think about it. Yeah, I mean, he, he was a, he was a good. I, I still keep in touch with him. He's got a son playing ball right now. Yep. But uh, you know, so Davey Lopes was the manager in Milwaukee, and Jim gets called to the big leagues, mm. and he calls me, and. He, and I looked at the box score and I saw Randy Johnson's pitching today. So I called Davey Lopes. I said, you piece of shit. What are you putting a lefty in there against the lefty? And he goes, he goes, Kitty. He goes, nobody wants a bat against Randy Johnson. Uh, yeah, just throw him in. He's brand new. And he walked. He struck out, whatever it is. But, you know, at least he can say he got to the big leagues. You know, there's a million people out there who never got there. Absolutely. And he got to the big leagues, whether he had success or not. And he walked and – uh yeah, I, I was I was proud of him, happy for him, and uh, and he's passing those coaching skills on to his son. He's helping out other teams, and you know, Pete, when you learn too much about this game, uh, you never knew enough. That's what you got to because yeah. it's an experiment. You know, we did that European uh, hitting camp over there with these people in Europe, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, Belgium, them, and and I'm thinking, you know, they know nothing about baseball. Remember that we were talking. Yeah. And all they worried about was how to pick a guy off second base. Right. So this was kind of funny. So I don't know if you remember this, but I bet all the coaches, I said, I'll bet you $100 of your currency from your country, you know, whether it's Czech Republic or Poland or it, whatever it is. And we, were in we were in Belgium. Yeah, we were in Belgium at the time. Yep. And I said, uh, I'll bet you $100. The first time you try to pick somebody off second base, the ball goes in center field. So, you know, and this is a year later, and all of a sudden I got a couple of letters with a hundred dollars denomination in their country <laughs> money saying, You were right, coach. <laughs> it went in the center field. You but, know, but that that makes sense because um, you know, I remember being, and I'm not gonna mention countries, but I remember being a country where I showed up and you know, we're watching the practice. One of the things they were working on was, you know, catching balls over the outfield fence, right? And you gotta be thinking, well, if that's your problem, maybe you ought to focus on pitching. Because yeah. that, that many balls are going over the fences. So what you're talking about is prioritizing what you need to practice. Yeah, but, you know, they were all excited about it. You know, they're enthusiastic. They wanted to know every aspect of the American baseball game. They really mm -hmm. did. And I thought it was cool as stuff. You know, then they, we found, remember that found that bottle of limoncello you and I did? We found that Yeah, one. that's you passed out, you passed out the lobby. <laughs> but that's what's great about the game, Ronnie. You know, right? I mean, whether it's an international trip with coaches, whether it's the Flyers, Major League Baseball, it's that camaraderie, it's that getting together. When you play, didn't you guys get together after ball games? You know, I mean, whether it be in a clubhouse or somewhere else, you know, talk baseball, have some drinks, you know, whatever it was. But nowadays, it's kind of like you go in your own ways and everybody kind of separates yeah. and goes their own ways. You know, with the White Sox, it was a great lesson. I had Greg Lazinski, Fisk, you know, mm -hmm. Hoyt. we had Kuzman. You know, later, a little bit later, we had Tom Seaver. After the game, somebody would always get a giant suite room with a pool table. And we'd go in there and order pizzas, you know, finger sandwiches, have some beers, glass of wine, whatever it is, and snack, and just talk baseball and just BS. And the coaches were included. And we had some great coaches. LaRusso. Oh, yeah. Wow. Jimmy, Jimmy Leland, Eddie Brinkman, Davey Nelson, Artie Kushner, Charlie Lau. I mean, wow. I mean, you can't get a, you can't write on a piece of paper a better coaching staff than what that was right there. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I mean, after all the teams, that's a great coaching staff. Uh, Dave Duncan was the pitching coach. I mean, World Series after all these things out there, and they we made it fun. You know, it, it's just what it is. So I keep in touch with Harold Baines Walker. I mean, Harold probably three four times a week. Uh, walk a couple times a week. 
And they asked me, you remember that? Well, unfortunately, I remember all that stuff. I mean, I really do. And they go, I can't even remember what I had for dinner last night, they're saying. And (laughs) I'm I'm the same way. Hey, let me ask you about LaRusse and Leland, because I think this is important too. You you played with, you know, for some great managers. Um, What'd you take away from those guys? Because I think it helps some of the coaches that that listen to the show also. What'd you take away from why why are those guys such great managers compared to maybe just a mediocre manager? I know players has something to do with that, but there's got to be something else to it other than that. Yeah, well, you know what? The media really pounded me because I'm a local guy near Chicago, and they said, uh, what about the move with La Russa coming back? I said, Tony La Russa is the best manager in baseball. He's three, inning, he's three innings ahead of every single other manager out there, and I'm not knocking the other ones. That's mm-hmm. just him. They said he doesn't know cybermetrics. I said, that man has had cybermetrics in his head for the last 40 years. Yes. He speaks Italian, he speaks Spanish, and he speaks uh, English. So I, I said, and he's smart. He knows the game. But one thing that I, I said, and I will always stick up for him, and I, I talk to Tony all the time, is when you are a coach, you have a meeting with your team, okay? You're talking to 26 guys. You're saying the same thing. Tony does it a little bit different. I mean, he'll have meetings like that, but briefly, he walks into every single person in the outfield during mm-hmm. the, you know practice. He'll talk to you and left, me and center, or somebody else in right. He has their one-on-one conversation with all these people out there. You did that too. I Absolutely. And I'm going to tell you what, players said they've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a firm believer on it because, Pete, you could be having a bad day. Okay, you, you're a good player. You're having a bad day. You're, you know, we just talked about our both of our dogs passing. You know, mm-hmm. that bothers you. Holy smoke. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. so you got to find out what's bothering these people. And I did that all the time. And, uh, you know, I had no magic formula for baseball, you know, but you got to know how to relate to each of the kids. Cause, but I came up differently. I mean, I came up from nothing. I had a battle back to get a second chance and I got a second chance. Uh, you know, I've got injuries, what is it? I think in 1989, I was having my best year ever uh, with the White Sox and Ozzy lobbed the ball over to first base and Rob Deere, remember him? Mm-hmm. Rob Deere for, he was with the Detroit at the time. I mean, he's close to 300 pounds and he runs hard and he plays hard and he ran up the line. I caught a ball and I tucked my arm in so he didn't break my wrist, but he hit me so hard it blew my back out. So I blew two discs out of my lower back. And that year I was, I think I was player of the month for the first two months. Uh, I want to finish and hit like 307. And Walt Reniak used to say, he goes, he goes, there's nobody in baseball who's hitting as good as you right now. And he goes, you gotta, you, we gotta get you healthy. And I wound up, everything hurt on me. I mean, I couldn't even bend over. I couldn't tie my shoes. Uh, so my season ended, I had back surgery and uh, you know, that kind of just, but big injuries always derailed my career. And, you know, and I look back, maybe it did happen for a reason, Pete, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, that's how I look at things in life now. But you know what? You just kept going. And that's what I love about the story. And I think people are going to love listening to this because, you know, most people might have given up. I think 90 percent of people might have given up with all the injuries. You know, the other aspect of the, of the managing part, I remember um, you doing a couple of things I thought were really good that were kind of different at that time. And I'm going back to the Schomburg Flyers years. Um, and that's why I asked you about LaRusso and Leland, some of the things you picked up from them. 
you know, you were one of the first ones, and I love this part. You were one of the first ones to bat guys that were better hitters at the top of the order. I remember you taking Barrios, putting him as a second hitter. You know, here's a power hitter. Guy can hit all over. He could run. Um, but yet you put him second because you understood that the more bats, you know, you get for those better hitters, the better chances. Because who's going to bunt in the first inning, right? I, I, we don't need a guy. Right? Yeah. Talk about that. And then, wait, wait, two yeah. things. That and you were aggressive on the base bats aggressively smart because we ran a lot three one three two um you know a lot a lot of different counts that you know you now see them doing it now more often but we weren't doing it back then yeah well i love managing don't get me wrong there but you know in schaumburg you got to be the manager the assistant bus driver the father the boyfriend the girlfriend <laughs> the mom and the dad and i just got a little tired of that uh but it, it was it was a lot of fun but you're right i mean nobody was doing their better hitters up in a one, two, three spots. Absolutely not. You know, and Harry, remember, he, I think he hit four home runs in a game one time, first or yep. second game I ever did that. And it's just part of the cycle that you got to learn. You know, I mean, and he, he didn't even want to do it. He goes, I don't want to hit a second. I said, right. you'll get more fastballs. You know, yeah. you got what, Brian Ralph leading off who can run the bases. I said, man, you're going to score a lot of runs. You know, so I challenged all these kids all the time, you know, and, and they picked it up. I mean, that was good. And uh, I wasn't trying to set a pattern. I never saw Tony LaRusso do that, you know, no. or nobody. I just thought that's what I want to do out there. Same with pitching and same with running. You know, I said, guys, I said, more mistakes are, I said, people on other, the other side, other team will make more mistakes when you're playing aggressive because they'll be in a hurry to throw ball. They remember how many overthrow balls we had. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness gracious. And it just became fun. And the guys kind of picked up on it. And, you know, it's a short season. I really think the whole entire team wanted to keep playing for another couple months because they were getting better and better every day. Sure. Yeah. You know, let, 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 let me jump. Cause I, I didn't mention your dad. I want to jump to that. Talk about the charity that you, you have done for a lot of years. Um, some of the things that the money you're raising to for, I believe for cancer, right? Yeah. Well, in uh, 19 uh, was it 79, I was in Knoxville, Tennessee. And, uh, and I, I had iron working money. I wasn't a poor minor league ball player. I always had money and I had a nice apartment and I saw this little kid and you know, I am, I'm not afraid to ask, you know, I'll go, Hey, you got a booger in your nose. I'll tell you. Right, you know, right. That's me. I just tell it as it is. And, or if you got an issue, I'm saying, what happened? So this kid, uh, and I put it in my book and I didn't talk about it for about 15, 20 years. He, uh, his side of his face was burnt and his hair was burnt. And I said, what happened? And I took him, you know, and, uh, gave him a hug. And I took him out to Buddy's Barbecue in Knoxville, Tennessee. And he told me the story. He had cancer. Uh, and I really didn't even know what cancer was at the time, Pete. I just knew it was a sickness. You know, that's it. Uh, terrible. But his parents tried to kill him. They were alcoholics. And they tried to light him on fire. So I wow. took this kid underneath my wing. And every day he would come to the ballpark. And I would say, here's, you know, five bucks. Then the league gave him five bucks. Uh, he polished shoes. He was a bat boy. I got him a haircut. I fed him almost every day that we were home. This is mm. for two months straight. And I mean, this guy ate uh, 50 pounds of uh, baked beans and cornbread and uh, pulled pork when he was a young kid. So obviously, you know, he's getting the years going on. He's still working for us. We go on a 14 day road trip on a bus to Jacksonville and all these other places in Orlando. And I come back and I open my garage door. And he hung himself in my garage. Oh, wow. And uh, oh, he left a note. He said, I want to thank you. I wish you were my dad or my big brother. 
thank you for what you did to me. And he hung himself. I mean, and that was that wow. old wooden door where you lift up the wooden door mm-hmm. at the apartment. And uh, I, I, I played, you know, for the rest of the year. I, I didn't talk. It, it really was devastating to me. And I just said from that point, and I had little money for working for myself. And I said, one day, if I get fortunate, I'm going to do a charity. And uh, I did. And uh, so I've been doing Ron Kittle charities. It started as Indiana sports charities. Now I'm in Illinois. It's called Ron Kittle charities. We've been writing checks, uh, raised over $3 million. I don't get paid. I sell things on ronkittlecharities.org or ronkittle.com. I help out many groups. and it's nice to make an impact. And I don't, nobody gets paid. I mean, I lose money running a charity. You know how it is. <laughs> the more you yeah. do. So every year, Barb and I make baskets. I mean, nice baskets, three to $400 baskets. And my time is valuable. So I can't afford to drive two hours, give a 10 minute talk or whatever they want me to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then drive home. I said, how about if I make a nice basket, you raffle it off and they sell $5 raffle tickets they raised thousand dollars on the thing and I, they got a free basket from me. So I've been doing that. So anywhere from 30, 40 to 50 baskets a year, I've been doing that. I put an autograph ball into it, a uh, bobblehead, you know, different things uh, that I get from the socks, a nice bottle of uh, booze or something, or a couple bottles of wine. And it's, it's giving back. Pete. You have to give back. You, you know? know, and that's one thing I remember about you. You've always done that. Um, even when you were at the flyers and, you, you always went up and visit with the people up in the suites, people in the, in the, in the fan, you know, the fans in the, in the stands. Hey, I'm looking at Facebook. Want to give a shout out to Lyle Prempis, one of my former Schomburg Flyers pitchers, big Lyle. Remember him. I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you a story about Lyle. If you can remember this, uh, remember he, he hurt his arm. He was playing on the Schomburg mm-hmm. Flyers and he was trying to come back. And I I'm in the batter's box watching him, you know, just looking at the pitches. And he can he can't deny this because Greg Hibber was right there with me. So he threw a pitch kind of up and in at my neck. And Hibby was standing behind the cage. He goes, uh-oh. So the next pitch, Lyle threw a fastball. And I hit, <laughs> I hit it over the scoreboard at Lexington Field. Yeah. And uh, I said, throw that weak shit up here now. Then all of a sudden, I'm telling you, remember, if you remember there, IP, he just gassed it. He was yep. so pissed at me. He gassed it. He added about five to six miles an hour on his fastball. And I go, now you got it. And he had this shit eating grin. Yeah. So what it was, he was scared to break those adhesions in his arm and he did it. And he wound up doing great. I mean, I, you know, great for us. Then he got a chance to go to affiliated ball. Then he got hurt there. And uh, mm-hmm. no, it's a great memory. I mean, but that's how you got to do it. You got to challenge somebody. And I challenged him. Uh, but, you know, he was kind of a little cocky on me. You know, I love hearing that because, again, I keep going back to your story when you grew up. I think a lot of it has to do with how you do things. You know, we all have that trait where how we were growing up is how kind of how we do things. Um, one of the things that we talk about all the time is you're a straight shooter. Speaking about straight shooters, um, I've, been, I've been trying to get him on my show. I'm, I'm working on it. And you played alongside him. And, I wa- you know, I watched the White Sox postgame and pregame. Um, I love that part of the, the, the shows because Ozzy gains on the show. He's another straight shooter. Um, talk about when you played with Ozzy, some of the things that kind of, you know, maybe you learn from each other um, that, that, you know, to help, you know, get better as a player. Well, Ozzy, he had his head in the stands 99% of the times. I mean, he was looking at the girl in a bikini or somebody <laughs> over there, somebody's <laughs> waving to him. I, you know, but 
and I look at that is, and there's no doubt I had ADHD and uh, OCD all at the same time, you know, because I was yeah. pretty ridiculous. And those are the guys that they they need to focus on other things. Then all of a sudden, when the pitch is coming, you're ready. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, you just can't sit there and focus so much, and you're straining yourself on that. So you stay loose. Ozzy was loosey goosey. He could pick it. You know, I mean, it was as funny as it was. So what Greg Hibbert was pitching. This I got to bring back to this story. So Greg Hibbert's pitching. Ozzy is short. I'm at first base, and Fred McGriff is batting, and George Bell's on first base. So Hibby gets one and two on Fred McGriff. And he tries to throw that week's 85-mile-an-hour fastball in on Fred McGriff. He hits it so hard, I bounced off the bag. I didn't even see it. It hit the back of my glove. And it went up in the stands over, over the dugout. And they flashed quickly as they could on the scoreboard, E3. Hell, I never even saw the ball. <laughs> and I had seam marks on the back of my wrist. That's how hard he hit it. So I'm screaming at Hibbert on the mound. I said, don't you throw that weak shit into those good hitters. You throw your little silly curveball, your changeup outside. Don't throw those sneaky, weak fastballs inside. Throw it the other way. And we're having a meeting on the mound. And Ozzy goes, no, no, no. I want to have kids. He might kill. He goes, Fred McGriff might kill me a shortstop with that swing. <laughs> but, you know, he was uh, he was good. He was He was entertaining. I mean, you couldn't walk Ozzy again. I think he walked six times one year. I mean, he swung at everything. You threw it in the dugout, he'd swing at the son of a bitch. But he was in the game. He whistled. He knew what was going on all the time. Uh, you know, if you get him on your show, you, you definitely got to get a translator on there to understand him. You know, <laughs> a Spanish translator, not an English one. That's right. Hey, since we got some time, let's give a shout out. Also, we talked about Hall of Fame. Um, Minnie Minoso jumping in the Hall of Fame. Should have been in there a long time ago, but you know, hey, um, you know, sometimes it happens later. It's better later than than never. Um, you know, the part about managing and we're talking about personalities because you just mentioned Ozzy Gian. You know, yourself, you have a personality. Ozzy Gian's got a different personality. I mean, handling different personalities isn't really managing handling all these different personalities, understanding them, and knowing how to deal with them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you have to have a little bit of it. And that's what I brought up Tony LaRusso. He was good at handling all these situations out there. You can't mm-hmm. treat everybody with kid gloves. I mean, I did not care. And I said this when I first took the manager job with you and Hibbert and all the team. I said, I don't care if you like me, but I'm going to tell you what, you're going to learn some baseball. And we did. You know, mm-hmm. we went in all these other situations out there. I, and I didn't care if my players liked me. But I tell you what, if they wanted somebody to go to battle with them, be there every day, play hurt, whatever it is, they knew it was me. They knew it was Ozzy, go out there and play. I mean, it's one of the, the, the things that you can't teach that. It has to be instilled in that person, Pete. You know, I mean, Joel Skinner, remember him? I mean, yep. he took batting practice every single day. He hit more home runs than Barry Bonds, Babe Ruth, and Hank Aaron all together in batting practice. And he got seven in a game. Right. But at five o'clock, he's the best hitter in the world, you know, so you learn. So I got to tell you my mini Minosa thing. Yes, he deserved to be. Yes. Thing. So when I'm playing for Chicago HEPA and I get my tryout at Sox Park, who's the mm-hmm. coach that I get to work me out on my my workout on Friday? Mini Minosa. I knew wow. who he was. I took my dad there. I didn't know a lot about him, but it was mini Minosa. So I'm iron working every day in short sleeve shirt. I got a dark tan. Got a little Native American blood in me. I'm dark, long blonde hair, built like a bodybuilder. 
And Minnie walks up to me and he hands me a uniform to try out. He said, my name is Minosa. No, Senor, Minnie Minosa. He goes, I'm your coach today. And he goes, uh, you, you don't look like no ball player. He goes, you look like a movie star. You know, <laughs> and I, you know, I had a dark tan, long hair. And yeah. honestly, from today he passed away, he called me movie star. He never one time called me Ronnie. Nothing. It was just something that clicked in his thing. So the first fly ball, he hits me in the outfield. I was in right field. Old Kaminsky Park had those tunnel, those arch walkway, uh, walkway. And the ball almost hit me in the face. I never even saw it. And he was in the coach's box, you know, right next to the batter's thing. And it was right in the sun. And I had my glove up there and I couldn't see the ball. And it was right by my head. Uh, and he looked at me. He looked behind him and he saw the sun was setting right there. So he moved over by third base coach's box and I had a better angle where I couldn't see the ball. So mm -hmm. old Kaminsky park, the playing field was here and it sloped down almost five feet to the back of the drain, you know, for drainage, obviously. So, and I had, a, I really, I'm going to brag. I had a cannon of arm before I got hurt and uh, he hits me a one hopper. He goes, I want you to throw to third base. And I threw a line drive and Joe Gates was the third base coach there. And it went by his head. I threw it as hard as you could. And it was a line drive and it went in the stands and almost hit Bill Vex sitting in the stands watching my tryout. And uh, so, I mean, Minnie was, he, if he didn't move me out of the sun, I'd have missed every single ball. He hit me in the sun. You know, he, he took compassion. Uh, I love the man. I just, you know, when he, he got inducted, I called his wife and his uh, son. I talked to them and congratulated them. And uh, yeah, we just had a great bond together out there, but you know, everybody has a gift. You know, I know personally, you love baseball as much as anybody I've ever seen. You, you really do. You got a great passion for it. Uh, and I'm not knocking your ability. I never saw you when you were younger, if you played or not. You probably did the fundamental things right, because you used to teach bunting and stuff like that. Uh, but then you got to know how to get to the next level. And that's what right. coaches come in. They said, hey, I can't help you no more. You got to get somebody to go help you get to the next level. So Absolutely. you got a thousand kids out here taking batting lessons from other guys who probably played in the big leagues. Some didn't, but mm -hmm. you got to pay attention. You got to go out there and work at it because as hard as you think you're working, somebody's working harder all the time. So, you know, I took BP all the time. Remember in Schomburg? Oh yeah. We'd go to Sioux city. We go to Sioux falls and I would swing, you know, Hibby would pitch me or you would pitch me and I'd hit the, I'd hit the shit out of it over the fence. Right. And I go, well, there's the longest ball in St. Paul. Boom. There's the longest ball in Sioux Falls. You know, I just had fun. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what it up. But I'm going to tell you my trick. And I don't know if you ever knew this or not. Hal Lanier was mm -hmm. a big league manager, manager of the year in the major leagues. Yeah. Doc Edwards. And they were notorious for picking coaches signs up from third base. Mm -hmm. uh, and finally, at the end of the year, both of them at different times asked me, I can't pick your signs up. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you how I did it. So the coach's box is what, 15 foot wide in length? Mm -hmm. I gave the same sign in the back of the box, in the middle of the box, in the front of the box. And where I stood in the box was according to what sign I was doing. So if mm -hmm. I'm in the back of the box, it's a hit and run. If I'm in the middle, we're going to have a squeeze play or whatever. Mm -hmm. you know? So it's, it's the same sign. They were working at my signs. They were never looking at my feet in the coach's box. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and that's when I talk about being unique, you know, thinking outside the box. And that's why I named the show Baseball Outside the Box. 
you were taught certain things. I mean, you played with a lot of great players, you know, played for a lot of great managers, but yet you're still open-minded and thinking of different situations on your own. Oh, if there's a way to get better, you got to try it. I mean, you can't yeah. go up there and make stuff up. I mean, these are logically trying to think, you know, we had Brian Schultz, remember him? Mm-hmm. I mean, Brian Schultz had as good a swing as Tony Gwynn. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen anybody hitter. like this. But I he agree. got picked off first base, second base, third base every game. Right. He, he was the dumbest runner I've ever seen in my entire life. I told him, I said, I go, Schultz, just hold my hand while you're a third so I can tell you when to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we're good. I can't wait for Schultz to see this one. Hey, listen, the, uh, you know, I, be, I really appreciate your time, Ronnie. Um, the other part of all this I wanted to bring up because I think it's it's important. Um, you know, I want to get into the, today's game a little bit. But before we do, the people that have influenced you. Oh, and by the way, you mentioned my skills. I talk about it on the show all the time. Couldn't throw, couldn't hit. I had no bat speed, no arm speed, no running speed. Now, I was able to play a little college baseball just because of what you talked about. Good fundamentals, worked hard, you know, was tried to figure out the game, tried to study the game, but didn't have the skills to get to the next level. No doubt about it. Was realistic about it. Um, I talk about it on the show all the time. And simply because of what you said, I, I remember working along at Grand Slam one time and Ernie Banks came by. Ernie Banks didn't know me, but he said, hey, you got one of the best swings I've ever seen. Yeah, that's great. I got a great swing, but I hit, I hit 199, right? That didn't help me. Um, but but it, that's true, right? Because you can have certain skills or maybe have a great swing and it looks good, but can you transfer it into a ball game and can you transfer it to higher levels? That's a whole different ball game. Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, not everybody. You, I wanted to be the hero every single night I wanted to play. And I know that is impossible to do. You're going to be a GOAT uh, seven out of 10 times, obviously, when you do mm-hmm. that stuff out there. But you got to go in there with a good frame of mind. And I think it's important. I think the younger kids nowadays are more worried about what bats they have. Uh, if their spikes match with their hat and their wristbands and these fake tattoos or whatever it is. I mean, I never put up with any of that stuff. I, I just thought it was important to go out there. I go, you know, they said, skip, uh, what's my name? I said, and remember, I don't, here's another thing. I said, I don't even want to know your name. I want you to make me remember your name, do something yeah. good. And I'm going to tell you what, and Jamie Lapacolo, remember him? Oh, I mean, the guy can smash. And, yep. uh, you know, he used my 35-inch, 35-ounce bat, and he hit balls so hard. And it, literally, he was the best player in the league that year making a comeback. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. he wound up having vertigo and just got messed up for the future. And, uh, you know, his career ended. He's doing good. I keep in touch with these guys. But these are the guys that I was hard on. I mean, I was – mean hard on them and that wasn't because of hate it was I was trying to get something out of them that they knew they had in them but they just didn't know how to get to the next level yeah you saw something in them I think that's important um hey listen you work for the White Sox uh, I know you do a lot of work with them and um I want to ask you about today's game a little bit I know we we got to be a little cautious I'm sure in some ways um but how's the game changed I mean from when you play to now what, are the, what do you think are some of the positives and maybe some of the things that we're not doing so well in the game that could be a big detriment in the future of the baseball? Well, I think they're trying to change too many rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, nine innings, put a runner at second base. I mean, how foolish is that? You probably won't see anybody go into the Hall of Fame after in three years. After nobody's going to go in the Hall of Fame because people are playing shorter careers. 
pitchers aren't throwing five innings. So nobody's ever going to get 250 wins in the big leagues unless you're already on that pace right now. Uh, they're just pricing themselves out of the game. Uh, and it's unfortunate. And some of them are pretty good ball players. You know, they're more worried about the social media aspect, uh, you know, how many Instagram followers you're going to get or, you know, what are you going to do on Twitter? I mean, I'm on all that social media and I do it basically for my charity, you know, sure. and if you don't want to hear the truth, don't ask me a question, dear Lord. You know, yeah. I've always been like that. I ain't never going to change. You know, I, I get reprimanded because it's, uh, what is it? Uh, U.S. Cellular Field. Now it's uh, guaranteed. Yeah, I call it Sox Park. I've been calling it Sox Park since I was five years old. You know, right. I get reprimanded and, you know, and, and I have to watch what I say because I, I got a great passion for Chicago White Sox and respect for Jerry Reinsdorf and the whole organization. I really do. Uh, if Jerry asked me to pick up peanut shells at Sox Park every night after the game, I'd be there in a heartbeat doing all of it. And it would be absolutely perfect. And I'd do it again the next day. So mm -hmm. that's my attitude towards life. If you can't do it perfect, don't do it at all. You know, I don't like it. Anybody can quit, Pete. I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so sad that people give up and uh, not everybody has a dream, you know, just because you dream of being a ball player, you got to have the talent to be there, you know? So I used to sit jokingly in little league and all the kids, you know, what do you want to do? You know, my son should play here. You know, uh, my rule was you always pick in little league, you pick the kid with the cutest mom who made the best desserts, <laughs> you know, the treats for the kids, you know, it's a running joke. Everybody yep. uses it now. And I said that <laughs> 30 years ago, you know, it was just fun. But you teach kids to uh, be accountable, show up on time, uh, do this. You know, I taught them all how to run the bases, how to rake the field, how to cut the grass. I mean, that's part of the whole element of game of baseball is respecting what you do. You know, yeah, I've been asked to do fill in for radio, you know, mm -hmm. you know, MLB broadcast. I go, oh, nothing's good's going to happen if I got on MLB network and <laughs> talk about stuff like that. You know, I might hurt somebody's feelings out there. You know, and I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings, but respect the game, respect your coaches. And I necessarily didn't like all the players I played with, mm. or maybe even some of the coaches, but I was out there every day. I'd go to battle for them, you know. Then after the game, I could do my thing and they do their thing. You know, yeah, there's a lot. There's a there's a lot to be said, you know, love what you do, do it hard, no matter what it is, whether you're baseball, whether you're working as an usher, whatever it may be in, in anything you do in life. I agree with you. I think you've got to do it hundred percent. I, I have to admit, I always have not been perfect at doing that. There's been times where I had tough times. And I think we all go through them. Hey, listen, the La Russa, you know, I agree with you when he first came, you know, to the White Sox last year, um, I, I got a chance to work with him one week at the World Baseball Classic. So, I, I, you know, not that I know him that well, but I saw how he did things. There's attention to detail, his organization, his professionalism. He, I mean, obviously he knows the game. He's been in the game a long time. Um, the White Sox have got a great crew of players. Uh, talk a little bit about the White Sox and what, you know, their season and, you know, what you thought about it and how it went, because I think they got a great future coming up. Oh, absolutely. They got some great players. Uh, you know, a couple of them got some uh, brain farts. You know, they need to focus on baseball instead of their outdoor life, you know, seeing who's going to get the most tweets or whatever they call it out there and get out yeah. there. You know, that's tough love. I mean, I would handle that different than Tony, but Tony can't do that. But I, I'm thinking if anybody managed the White Sox last year, other than Tony La Russa, they'd be 15 to 20 games out. 
And mm -hmm. I'm saying that because his conversations with his players, and he had a lot of key injuries all year long. I mean, their key players were out for months at Absolutely. a time. Uh, and he went out there and still won a division. I think their uh, buttholes puckered up when they got to the playoff. They thought, you know, it's a battle out there. Houston's a good team. Mm -hmm. I mean, they could hit a fastball. They could, they could hit any ball if you throw it in the middle of the plate. Uh, so it's lessons learned. I think they got a great test. And that kind of just reflects back on the Atlanta Braves a year before. You know, they did the same thing. They got in there to play somebody, and all of a sudden they thought they were too cautious, and they wound up losing. Okay? Then they come back this year, and they win the World Series out there. You know, so I, I follow game. Uh, when I'm at the park, I do my ambassador work. I visit sick people. I visit our sponsors. I visit fans. Uh, I eat a meal with Harold Baines or you nice. know, whoever in town. I get to talk to Jerry, have a cigar with him. And it's not a lot about baseball. It's about life. Uh, you know, I'm 63 years old, 64 in January. Uh, I love what I do. It's, it's, I respect it dearly. I, I wear the Sox logo proudly when I'm at the park, which I should, because mm -hmm. I work for them out there. And, uh, you know, I, I can't have any input for the current players because I don't even think they know who I am. They don't even know who Harold Baines was. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was kind of funny. We were there a couple of years ago and one of the guys asked Harold Baines, because he's bald headed now, if he was Bernie Williams. <laughs> you know, and I go, here's a guy that's in the Hall of Fame. And yeah. Asked him, <laughs> wow. You know, wow. so it is it, different out there. But, uh, you know, Jimmy Leland was a great uh, coach, third base coach. He mm -hmm. goes on to be a great manager. Yeah. I mean, I mean, these are all baseball minds and they talk baseball, but they always had humor in between it. Because uh, if you're too serious out there, uh, you don't know a lot of stuff. You know, it, it's a game. You know, it's, you got 27 outs. You got a round ball, round back, hit it. You got to catch it. This launch launch angle, they can take that launch angle and shove it. Uh, I think it's and, that, and that's and that's coming from somebody who had 207, I believe 278 home runs, 176 home runs in the big leagues. I mean, were you trying to hit home runs? Oh, or God, was no. that no? Yeah, my, my swing was a downswing, you know, where you hit the bottom of the ball and it rotates up. So I had a lot of right? Yeah, you know, I'm a great fan of him, but you know, some people took it to the, the further Tony LaRusso is not a launch angle guy, those launch right. angle guys were striking out 230 times a year because they're trying to hit home runs in those aerodynamically built fields, you know, so it was cautious. And uh, yeah, I, I, I went up there. So end of my career, I mean, like I said, I had a lot of injuries. I should have never even played pro baseball. Right. You know? And I got some accolades. Uh, I finished my career. I think I'm 23rd all time with steroid people of home runs per at bat at like one, every 15, mm -hmm. something at bat, which is pretty mm -hmm. good. Yes. So you take the steroid people out of there. I'm number three of all, right. all time. And it's, the game has changed. You know, I, no, nobody hit a baseball farther than me. You can look at any, you know, they said this guy hit it here, Mickey Mantle here. Hell, I hit a ball in Battery Park over the roof at Kaminsky Park, over the roof in a light tower. Nobody's yeah. ever hit a ball that far, you know? So wow. I hit a, also a home run in Seattle. They'd hit the second seat to the back wall. Uh, a week earlier, Mark McGuire hit one where they colored the seat. He hit it in left center, uh, five rows up, and I hit it all 20 feet farther, you know. But I'm just a piece of doo-doo in life. It was just Ron Kittle, not Mark McGuire. Right. <laughs> Every day I put my uniform on, I wanted to win. I wanted to be the hero. I wanted to play. Uh, I wanted to 
greet the fans, you know, and fans can be not ruthless. They can just be assholes, you know, because mm-hmm. you can sign a hundred autographs and you got to go because everything's on a time limit. And that sure. one guy, you're the biggest jerk in the world to that guy, you know, so you're never going to win, you know, what it is. And, uh, but I, I just want to be respected. I want to know I had fun and uh, I take pride in my charity, ronkittlecharities.org. I make artwork, sports art like crazy. And that's at ronkittle.com. So I'm in my shop eight hours a day building creations that are pretty damn awesome. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and I, and I, I want to end with that because, but before we end with it, because we're getting close to the end here, Ron, I respect your time. Um, the, the other part of all this, who was, I, I'm curious to find out in your career, you know, obviously your dad was one of them, but who's influential in, in, in developing, the, you know, your skills, your mental skills, your physical skills, life skills, who else was a great influence on you? And, and I got to, you mentioned Reinsdorf, obviously one of the most loyal people in professional baseball, because you can see all the people that still work for him for many years. He's extremely loyal. I'm sure he falls in that category, but who else would, would be uh, somebody that really helped you a lot? You know, well, I came up with Greg Walker and Harold Baines. We were kind of mm-hmm. all in the same age pattern. We were in the same hitting group every year. Uh, so I, I would say the whole entire White Sox coaching staff, they tried to teach you something. But mm-hmm. what was really unique is with Harold Walker and I, we were in the same hitting group. We all had competition between each other, uh-huh. you know, whether it was in batting practice or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, they know personally that, if there was a chance between them make the team and me make the team, I would break their leg to make the team. Mm-hmm. And they know that. And mm-hmm. they, then they go, would you really? I said, damn right. You know, but they knew I would go to bat for him. You know, I, I told Harold, I'd take a bullet for him. And same with Walker. That's how good of friends we are. But it's a battle out there. You're not going to feel good every day. I mean, my, my rookie year, I mean, I was taking a powerful 500 milligram Darvon just to play the game because my neck was hurting me so bad. And there was days I had headaches so bad, but I still went out there and played. I felt if bases were loaded and I got hit in the face and we won a ball game, we won a game. You know, I'm not going to get hit in the face and win a ball game sitting in a dugout. You know, that's, that's how I thought. But, you know, the injuries just started coming up and I was plagued with them. And what I did is I came back too soon. I didn't let these injuries heal up properly and it became uh, more sustaining injuries. You know, I'm not knocking my career. I mean, I had fun. I met some great people. Uh, if I didn't have a career, I would not have met you, Pete. I wouldn't have been there for your wedding day when it was raining. Oh, that was, you know, I, I mean, that was, what so a night, cool. what a, that was an awesome day. What, what a great, I mean, having you Hibbert, all the players there, you know, the mascot. I mean, that was just, you know, a great evening for us. Yeah, I can't even believe Beverly married you. That was the hard part. I'm, just... <laughs> uh, I'm sure she'll listen to that part. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? It's, uh, I've made some wonderful contacts in this game. Uh, so one of the things as I do is I get commissioned by the White Sox to build products mm-hmm. for people who are retiring. Derek Jeter, uh, uh Mark Burley, Jim Tomey, Big Poppy. I mean, yeah. and if I don't like you, I won't build nothing, no matter what it is. So they asked me to build something for Barry Bonds. I told him to go shit in his hat. I wasn't going to build nothing for him. <laughs> wow. You know? And uh, I don't care how much money it is. If I don't like you. I don't have respect for you. You're not getting nothing from me. So I believe you wrote you wrote in your book about him. Oh, yeah. He, he's, a, he's a turd. He's not on my Christmas list. list. You know, I sent him a book. 
Yeah. I, I autographed the book and I sent it to him, FedEx. And I said, uh, Barry, I said, no doubt you are a great ball player, but you're a bigger asshole. And I signed my name and I FedExed it to him. Oh, wow. You know, well, and, hey, speak, uh, hey, speak about the book. Um, why did you write the book? It's all, these are stories about you and professional baseball. Um, you know, because, and Ron, I know you keep saying that, you know, well, you, you were a player, but not maybe not that great. But I tell you what, you did a lot of great things in Major League Baseball. A lot of fans know you in Chicago and around the country uh, a lot. Well, first of all, I can remember everything. So I started writing a book of funny stories from the minor leagues. Schomburg would have been in there. And the, the title of the book would be, You Got to Be Shitting Me, would be the title of the book. You know, right, but nobody's going to let you write that, huh? Oh, no, no, no. It's still in the works. Uh-huh. And uh, you can write anything nowadays. Uh, so then the White Sox approach me and they go, how about you do Ron Kittle's Tales from the White Sox dugout? So it talks about my Little League days. Uh, uh-huh. You know, then it talks about high school, my charity work, the minor leagues, the big leagues, teammates, funny stories, uh, my family and the charity. So it all. So I did it. And then I. They only printed like 25,000 books. You know, every every team had somebody to do something like that. So mine's, I think it went to production three times. So it made 75,000. Then they called me up and asked me if I would do an epilogue and add 3,000 more year, uh, words into it. So I moved some things around, added some pictures and wrote more in the book. So I'm selling, that sells on my webpage. You know, it cost me money. You know, if I wanted to buy 10,000 of them, I get a deal on it. <laughs> you know, I'm right, not right. Amazon, so I got it, it cost me more for shipping than it does the damn book. So right. I sell it on my web page and it's fun. It's a good read. I personalize autograph for the people. Uh, it, it's good, but I, I, I never forgot my roots, Pete. I know where I came from. I know how hard I had to work to get there. I wasn't going to let nobody belittle me and take it away from me. Uh, but I had a damn blast. I mean, I had a damn <laughs> blast. And that's why I knew this show was going to be fantastic because not only your humor, but also your background, how you grew up and, and the toughness behind. Because I think nowadays, Ron, and we'll close it off with this. Uh, nowadays, you know, times have changed a little bit. People say they've not, but you know what? I see players out there. I, I'm not sure players, and I'm not talking about major league players. I'm talking about our younger kids. Um, I think they need to get a little tougher. I, I, listen. I was one of those kids that needed to be tougher when I was young. I was a baby a little bit. And I think we're babying kids a little bit too much in the game nowadays. That's why we're seeing other players from other countries getting to the big leagues. We're going to see more of that because our kids, you know, sure, we got great talent in the U.S., but I think sometimes we, we got to be a little tougher when we're playing this game. Yeah, the, the American kids are spoiled, and they want to be spoiled and pampered. Mm-hmm. Uh, the foreign players that are coming in from these countries who have nothing – they're given a ball and a glove and yep. a bat and said, go out there and play. And they bust their ass because they don't want to go back to their country and have that. Now you got people in America and I'm not knocking all of them, but I know a bunch right. that, Oh, my daddy owns a shop or a car dealer. I can go work for him. Well, that kid's already done. I wouldn't even pick him for my team. Right. No, he's already pampered what's going on out there. So, you know, my dad used to tell everybody in little league and senior league, he goes, boys, pack a lunch. We're going to be on the field all day. And we did. We were out there for six, seven, eight hours uh, doing everything that you could possibly think. And not one time did I ever get tired because when you're doing something you like, uh, it's fun. You know, and like I said, I I keep in touch with a lot of my classmates, former teammates. Uh, Do I wish I had 
one wish I wish I would have stayed healthier during my career because it would have been a different game, you know. But like I said, uh, and you mentioned also, you know, when you played, you played with, uh, and I kind of went over it a little bit. You mentioned you played with older players. Um, you know, nowadays we're also kind of, you know, telling kids, well, if you're, you're playing 15 U or you're playing 14 U or 13 U, look, I didn't have much talent, but when I grew up in Mickey on baseball school, I did similar things to what you did. I learned how to fix a field. I learned how to, you know, uh, umpire, coach, play. Um, I had I played 100 games in the summer. I maintained the field all summer. I did a lot of th different things that taught you a lot about life, but also about the, the game of baseball. But I played with guys that were 18, 19, 20 years old. Nowadays, we don't let kids do that. What, what, if you're a better player, why shouldn't you be playing with older players? Well, that's the only reason I got better, because I played with older kids. In basketball, the same way. I love basketball. I'd go downtown Gary. You know, I'm just a skinny little kid, and I'd go down there and get my ass kicked. You know, and every Saturday and Sunday, I'd drive back down there in the morning, and I'd get my ass kicked. And all of a sudden, I got a little better. And these guys yeah. are saying, man, he's getting good. He's getting good. You know, and uh, it's just a brotherhood. I mean, there was no racial barrier when I was growing up. It was you were either an asshole or you're a good guy. That's how right. it was. There was no color. Uh, and, and I got along with everybody. And uh, until you steal from your hurt my family, it's a different game. But you got to – I just tell these kids nowadays, if you want to get better, you got to work at it. If you don't want to spend time working at it, get out of the game. You know, go read a book or, you know. Find something else to do. Yeah, and folks and parents out there, just a message, you know, look, we know you love your kids, but don't always put them in a position to succeed. You know, sometimes, you know, they got to be in positions to fail because that's how you learn. I wish I was in that position more in my life, Ronnie. Um, hey, listen, I want to close it off with this. Ronkittle.com. Um, you know, you mentioned you build custom collectible benches out of baseballs, bats, and bases. You do a lot of work. Uh, talk about that because uh, the book, folks, you can get the book there too at ronkittle.com. But talk about the benches that you make and because it's out of, you know, regular bats and sometimes it's signed. Discuss all that. Well, there's nothing I can't make. Uh, you know, I grew up in an ironworking family, so I saw fabrication firsthand. If I can see something today, I can make it better. Uh, I've always had that gift. I mean, I don't sleep, so I just keep on thinking about stuff. Uh, I've helped a lot of people in business. I've started a lot of people with ideas, and they've got great businesses making a lot of money, and they always want to pay me back. I said, one day I'll let you know when you can pay me back. You know, when you so need it. I always think outside the box all the time. I've always been like that. So I make bats, baseball bat benches. I bought my first one late 70s for $750. I mean, they're $3,000. There's 18 bats, three bases, a box, balls on it. Uh, you can do anything, any different team. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a hobby. I mean, I bust 18 to 20 hours on this thing, and I probably make $100. I just do it for fun. But bats are so expensive right now. I mean, they're, they're almost like $200 a bat. I mean, it's hard to find wood. So I'm not building a lot right now because – it's extra money. You know, I still have keep things in inventory out there, but I make American flags out of baseball. There's 117 baseballs in there. I can do your team thing. Wow. Uh, I use museum grade UV acrylic on the outside. It used to cost me $300 for that cover. Now it's a thousand dollars for just a cover. Wow. So, I mean, you got to look at the website. There's, there's everything on there. I make ashtrays for cigars. 
yep. uh, smokers. I make humidors. I mean, you and I need to sit down one of these days and have a cigar. And uh, no doubt, and a little bourbon you know, and whiskey. You do, do you do this podcast all the time, every day? I, I I do it once a week. When when the pandemic hit, I was doing it every day. But yeah, now I do it once a week. Yeah, because I remember you were asking me to get on, and uh, during the pandemic, I was busier. I mean, I really didn't have a lot of time. Today, you caught me at a good day. I got my yard done. Uh, I'm tearing a basement apart right now. I just love to work. And I don't consider it work. I call it, I consider it uh, exercise when I'm doing different things. Awesome. I'll tell you what, Ronnie, I knew this was going to be a fantastic show. And and the man hit a grand slam. Can't thank you enough. And I definitely got to get together, cigar, some bourbon, some whiskey, whatever you want to call it. Let's do it. And then thanks for being on the show, man. You're fantastic. Yeah, my pleasure. You know, I miss seeing you live. Uh, like I said, I follow what's going on with you, your, all your travels. Uh, I love you like a brother because we went through some stuff together. And uh, and I'll never forget. I ain't going to tell the story when you goofed up my lineup card. Hey, no, no. I tell I tell it all the time. Let me tell you, you know, I never I never claim. I, I, and I, I tell it because we all make mistakes. I remember that. First of all, I'll tell the story because. You know, I remember you had a promotion you had to get to, I believe, a radio charity. I had my charity golf tournament. Charity. And next thing you know, I've got to manage the game, right? Go ahead. Tell the story. So I I told Pete, I said, I'm going to my charity event. Here's the lineup. I already wrote it out. Okay. This is great. All you got to do is be the manager. Well, Pete (laughs) Pete was overthinking that day, and he decided to rewrite the lineup. Remember? On your own piece of paper with your own printing. And you forgot the DH. Right. And you put a picture in the thing. So Harry Berrios. <laughs> I, I got to take him out. Remember? Yeah. He got, and you're, and you're, wait, you're listening to it on the radio, I think. Yes. And the umpire and Matt McLaughlin was talking. He goes, I don't know what happened here. Uh, Ron said he left PETA the, the score scorecard and <laughs> to turn it into umpire. So I remember I came back like it was the second inning and Harry's sitting on the bench. He goes, that's what you get for letting Pete manage. <laughs> Hey, and, and on top of it, listen, I remember because what happened was I'm sitting there and, you know, you were with uh, with the manager of Fargo a, at the time, I believe. Yeah. And uh, Bettinger, I think it was, Bittinger, Bittinger was yeah. the pitching coach. All of a sudden he comes out and I'm wondering, what's he coming out to the umpire for? I mean, you know, there's nothing really happening. And I do look down at the scorecard and then realize the mistake I made. But wait a second. Here's the part you don't tell. Todd Genke was our pitcher. I had it all planned. What did Todd Genke do? He won the he hit the game winning hit that game. You got a triple. Yeah, game winning. So it was yeah. a good plan. You know, I had a plan in mind. So that was it. <laughs> hey, it's a great story. It's a great memory. Oh. It's all hey. good. Brother, you be good. We'll catch Thank up. You. If you need me on again, you fire away. Love it. All right, folks, that is Ron Kittle. Special thanks to him. Special thanks to Brian Crock, our producer with the Lineup Media Group. Special thanks to everybody that's listening in the U.S. and around the world. And don't forget, um, this was a special show in memory of Roland Heeman, who passed away a few days ago at the age of 92, greatest guy in the game. Folks, stay healthy, stay safe. God bless you, and we'll see you on the next show. This has been Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Listen online at BaseballOutsideTheBox.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Get all of our podcasts now at LineUpMedia.fm. This podcast was a presentation of LineUpMedia.fm.